Hello, NAFI members and flight instructors. John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors. And as always, I am pleased to welcome you to another episode of the NAFI More Right Better podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And today, the episode is brought to you by the NAFI Special Interest Groups Program, or SIGS for short. We started this about five months ago, and uh, we started with the Rotocraft Instructors Group, and we've since expanded um, just about one a month ever since it started. We're up to five um, special interest groups, and it ranges anything from the Rotocraft Group I already mentioned to uh, Glider Instructors Group, Instrument Instructors Group, New Instructors Group, and instructors who teach other instructors. So really, it's all about getting like-minded instructors or like-interest instructors and uh, get them together so they can talk about what things are meaningful to them, what works, what doesn't work, and uh, their experiences so that they can kind of network together and, and find uh, just cool discussions to have. So um, it's been really fun so far. If you're interested, um, I highly recommend you go to the NAFI website at nafinet.org. Check it out. It is members only, so you will have to join. Um, but certainly you're welcome to do so. And uh, the other cool thing about it is all of these groups came from you, the members. So if you've got an idea, you want to host one, um, let me know. And we'll set it up. We'll get it uh, out on the website. We'll let the members know and uh, get the group together. So if you've got any ideas on on what kind of interest groups you'd like to have or see, send me an email, jneehaus, N-I-E-H-A-U-S, at nafinet.org and uh, we'll make it happen. So anyways, the presentation that uh, you're about to listen to is a discussion I had uh, earlier this year uh, with four instructors who specialize in light sport flight instruction. It's kind of an area where a lot of us don't really know what it's all about. They don't really understand what the restrictions are, what uh, types of airplanes are uh, classified as light sport, and why it's cool, why it's fun. Um, and so uh, these instructors who are uh, NAFI volunteers, um, they uh, took the time out of their day to have a quick uh, educational discussion with me on, on what it means and why it's cool. So without further ado, what is light sport instruction and what is LSA flight instruction with my special guests, Krishnan Swaminathan, Dustin Jones, George Allen, and myself. Thanks. Welcome to the NAFI Briefing Room. Uh, it is our online video series where we take topics from the industry and from our members and get a group of instructors together to try to clear up the issues. Today's topic is light sport aviation and light sport flight instruction. What is it, what does it mean, and why is it awesome? Um, so I have three instructors with me today. I have Krishnan Swaminathan, and he's out of uh, Van Nuys, California. I have Dustin Jones out of uh, Sacramento, California, and I have George Allen from Mansfield, Massachusetts. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank Bye. you. So I set aside some questions and uh, we'll just kind of go down the list and see if we can't uh, clear this up for everybody or at least uh, make an attempt at it. Um, for those that uh, don't truly understand, what exactly is light sport aviation? 
Krishnan? I would say it's a, it, it's a, it's a kind of a reduced or, or um, redux version of getting into aviation in terms of, of, a, of, of something that's a stepping stone into to, to private aviation, as well as being a, 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 a sort of a, an end in itself for people who, who, who want to choose the criteria within what they want to operate. You know, it can be a, a very economical and, and um, sort of easy on your, on your time version of, of what um, most people perceive to be the traditional uh, system to get into the, 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 the certification. Mm -hmm. Dustin. Yeah, I would say that, uh, especially out here in Northern California, I see sport aviation as a way to um, uh, be able to exercise the privilege, enjoy the privilege of flying um, certain types of aircraft that uh, if you were to have to achieve a, a private certificate would be a lot more work. So, for example, we have uh, uh, gyroplanes uh, that are being flown under sport pilot certificates or um I don't see a lot of trikes, but, but there are some out here. Um, and so that's a nice way to earn that certificate, be able to carry a passenger and enjoy those privileges, but not have to invest as much as what it would take into them at, uh, under private uh, pilot certification. Um, we also see, of course, pilots that uh, are concerned about uh, um, that first medical. Uh, and so uh, they look at those limitations of a sport pilot and say, yep, I can live with that. And they choose that route so that they don't necessarily have that door closing them in the future. Mm -hmm. George? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what what um, they both said was uh, spot on, and I totally agree. It is a, a lower cost, uh, lower time requirement way to engage uh, the general community in aviation um, without the seeming uh, burden sometimes of going through the additional requirements of the private pilot training. And um, yeah, it definitely just opens up a lot of vistas of fun, uh, some exciting aircraft uh, that they can, they can fly. Um, one of the ones that we use, for example, are the uh, sport cruisers. Uh, so a you know, beautiful bubble canopy with the uh, brand new avionics and center stick design and everything. Um, they're just a lot of fun to fly. So, yeah, I mean, as an opportunity as a, for a flight school to draw in um, some students you may have otherwise missed uh, with maybe the costs and requirements of a private pilot, you can start them there as a, I forget who said, as a stepping stone. I think it's a really great, great way to look at it. And uh, interestingly, too, um, I think it was just about two years ago, um, the FAA changed the regulations a bit where um, pri prior to that point, if you had a light sport uh, pilot certificate and then you wanted to convert that to a private pilot, you actually could not count those uh, 20 or so hours mm. toward the private pilot. And uh, as of, uh, I think, August of 2018, they changed that. Uh, thankfully. So now you can actually carry that over. So if down the road, someone wants to uh, then take on the additional uh, training toward the private pilot, they can now take those 20 hours and apply that toward the private pilot certificate so long as they already did achieve the sport pilot certificate. So um, I thought that was, that was a really excellent move. Yeah. Now you sort of open this up and, and as the uh, CEO of uh, AeroVenture, I think I may know the answer to this, but uh, <laughs> um, what uh, exactly is a light sport airplane and, and what do you like about it? So uh, in general, uh, light sport aircraft um, is, is typically any aircraft that's, uh, you know, with a max takeoff weight of 1,320 pounds, um, unless you're talking something like, uh, like the Icon uh, A5, I believe they're allowed to go up to 1,420 pounds uh, for the seaplane capability. But 
um, yeah, in general, uh, they can't really go more than 120 knots. Uh, so, you know, fairly limited on, on speed. Um, you can only carry one passenger with you. So it's, if, if someone wants to become a pilot and, you know, take their family around in, in a, you know, Cherokee six or something like that it may not be the best option, but they just want to fly around for fun, take a friend up with them once in a while and things like that. Um, some of the limitations, uh, you know, you can't fly at night, um, as a sport pilot. So you're limited to daytime VFR only and things of that nature. Um, and basically whatever the capabilities of the airplane are as well, each manufacturer kind of spells out that what you can or cannot do in that airplane. So you have to comply with those limitations. Um, and what we like about them is that, uh, in, in a way it's a, it's a low cost option to modernize a fleet. Um, so instead of flying, uh, you know, Piper Cherokees from 1960s or, you know, the 1980s Cessnas, um, you know, if you want to turn around and buy a new Cessna today, we're talking maybe half a million dollars, um, or even a slightly older one, maybe 20 years old is, is somewhere between 190 to $250,000 or so. Um, whereas, uh, with a light sport, uh, you know, it depends on the equipment, but you can get them between 120 to $180,000. Um, they're very versatile and capable aircraft. Um, it, it, it's an attraction to the students because, um, you know, they see a, a modern fleet with uh, glass panel avionics. Um, the excitement of the center stick I mentioned earlier um, is, is really something that students seem to like uh, versus a traditional yoke. And also uh, the aircraft that we operate have um, a nice canopy view. So the, the moment you take off, we're just south of Boston. So if you, you look out, um, you just see the city just rising on the horizon out before you and everything. And it seems almost unlimited and unrestricted view uh, all around. You feel like you're a part of the sky almost immediately. So that's, I guess, one of the things I really like about them is that they're exciting mm -hmm. um, you know, for the clients when they come in. And uh, in terms of a few other things too, um, the, the maintenance on the aircraft is uh, a bit simpler. And uh, overall, we also like the, so the operational margin is, is usually a lot, um, a lot better than maybe a traditional airplane. And um, the maintenance is cheaper. And then you also have the fuel uh, and a Rotax engine that we operate in the aircraft, usually about four and a half gallons an hour. So oh, wow. uh, that, that kind of helps as well, instead of burning eight or nine. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So those are just some random thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. Now, Krishnan, you said that uh, you did your training in a light sport and now you are doing some instruction in the light sport. What did you like about it? Um, apart from, again, what we just spoke about, the affordability and, and kind of the, the, the access to it, hmm. um, availability, you know, a lot of people, they didn't really kind of want to mess with, with, with booking the airplanes because they were light sport airplanes. They didn't know much about them, which left them open for training. Firstly, for me, you know. Um, the second thing is, while initially there was a fairly steep curve of, in terms of stick and rudder skills, which um, steeper than what I noticed with the people I teach in, in you know, 172s and, and standard training airplanes, it kind of levels off at a certain point and then parallels what I noticed with the standard airplanes as well. And, and I think even in the people that I've trained in 162s and taken on further to 172s and, and other airplanes, I think there's a really solid foundation. The, the airplanes, they tend to be a little more sensitive in your hands. Mm. And, and it, it really kind of solidifies um, 
how you handle the airplane in general. You know, for example, you're, you're teaching crosswind landings, you're teaching sort of, you know, things that, that, that require a certain intermediate to advanced level of handling of the airplane. And initially you're going to be yawing and, and fishtailing all over the place. But once you nail it in these airplanes, you know, once you really move on when, because if you take somebody from 162 who, who's now gone on to do their instrument training in, in a 172 and you see how they handle the airplane, I think there's a really solid sort of grounding that it gives you in, in, in that aspect of flying. So that's a real biggie for me. Mm -hmm. Dustin, how about you? Yeah, actually, uh, Christian's spot on. Um, we have found that when we're training um, someone in a light sport airplane, uh, that it reveals uh, their, their uh, lack of understanding, it reveals uh, their lack of skill development, where if you're in a Cherokee or you're in a 172, it, it, it's, it's more forgiving. It might cover it up, um, but it's very apparent uh, when uh, incorrect or uh, out of timing the control input is being used by the student in the light sport airplane. Um, and, and so for that reason, we believe, yes, uh, it is a little harder, but at the end, the product, the, the pilot that has been developed and trained, uh, they're a better pilot for it. And they, mm. uh, they're going to be a safer pilot. They're going to understand the forces acting on the airplane. They're going to be able to account for uh, crosswind asymmetric thrust, adverse yaw, whatever it is. Uh, and so we appreciate that aspect. Uh, it also forces us to be a better instructor. Uh, we have to pay attention. <laughs> um, uh, you can never, uh, you can never be complacent in a light sport airplane, uh, even though it may be the student's 100th takeoff. Uh, if it's a soft field takeoff, uh, you better be watching it. So uh, we, we appreciate that aspect. Hmm. So Dustin, while I have you, um, what regulatory differences are there between uh, a sport pilot and a private pilot? I know George sort of touched on it a little bit, but uh, um, you know, are there any additional details? Yeah, so uh, I think this is one of the things that makes sport pilot a little harder for uh, the community to wrap their head around is the fact that in Part 61, subpart J and K are written very differently from uh, the private pilot or commercial pilot or flight instructor sections. So you look at it and it, it doesn't look the same and you're like, well, why is this so different, right? Uh, I think that was maybe 15 years ago, the FAA was trying to be kinder, gentler, more readable, but it, it, I think it actually does a disservice. It was written just the way that you know, regular subparts were for pilot pilot, I think you'd be able to need to parse. Um, you know, if you, if you think about it, uh, a, a person working for a sport pilot uh, certificate, they've got to go through and be a student pilot first. And so when it comes to solo, they have to comply with the, the same requirements. Uh, uh, forget my numbers, it's 61, 83, or 87. They've got to go through all those 15 areas of training before they can solo the airplane. They've got to get a cross-country endorsement. So that's the same thing under 6193. So for the first, I want to say maybe two-thirds of training, it looks exactly the same as a private pilot. There's a little bit less of it. You don't have to do the three hours of flight by reference instruments. You don't have to do five hours of solo cross-country, but you do have to do a, a solo cross-country. It's kind of distance requirement. You don't have to do night. Um, and so if you want to think about it, you know, the, the training for a sport pilot compared to a private pilot, it's maybe about two-thirds or three-quarters. Um, it still uses a PTS instead of an ACS. So if you're, you're looking at sport pilot PTS, and you remember good old private pilot PTS, it, it reads pretty much the same. The tasks are uh, slightly slimmed down. Um, and that's probably one of the things I, 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 I thought to, to reinforce is that if you come out of training for the sport pilot, um, the standards are similar enough, you're gonna receive similar enough training um, that you know I, I don't think 
anyone could say that a sport pilot doesn't receive the same quality or was trained to the same quality of the standards. Um, we're still operating in the same airspace, same altitudes, same speeds as there is just like a 152. Um, and, and so from that standpoint, I think a, a, a sport pilot and a private pilot in the same aircraft are going to have the same capabilities, the same confidence in their skill sets. So, but from a privileges standpoint, um, if I remember what George mentioned, it's one passenger, it's daytime only. Um, there's a, an airspeed requirement. Did you say 140? Uh, uh, can't be greater than 120 knots. 120. Um, are there other restrictions between the two? Well, uh, believe it or not, uh, I think it's 61.315C uh, in the FAR is listed about 19 restrictions for, uh, for LSA okay. pilots in total. Um, I don't have all of them in front of me, but, uh, you know, one of them is um, obviously you can't fly for compensation hires just like a private pilot. You can't fly in furtherance of a business, which um, was another one. Um, and maybe if you want to be like a light sport salesman, um, you actually can't fly the aircraft for a prospective buyer, um, okay. in, in a demonstration flight and things like that. And it just goes on the list about 19 of restrictions. Just Sure. Like but I, I guess the, the overall yeah. gist that I'm hearing from all of this is none of those restrictions are things that would stop somebody from doing it for fun. I mean, there's, there's, there's no reason why, um, you can't have just as much fun going towards a sport pilot certificate as you would anything else. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then there is a restriction on airspace, uh, potentially, uh, you just need to receive an endorsement in order to fly, um, in Bravo, Charlie or Delta airspace. So that's just something to keep in mind is you might have to, if you don't have that endorsement, you'll have to navigate around those airspaces in, instead of, uh, you know, through them or what have you. So. Sure. Now, uh, gentlemen, I do have one question. Krishan, go ahead. Um, the one thing that I've noticed out of all these, these limitations that, that we've, we've kind of thrown out, back and forth here is in terms of a new pilot, somebody who's looking at, at sport airplanes versus standard training airplanes, the one limitation that I've noticed is the fact that they can't continue on it for their instrument training. So for people who, who sort of have that as their goal or want to use these training airplanes for anything beyond getting a sport pilot, the fact that they can't train I believe some airplanes allow you to train IFR, but don't actually let you go into IMC. Correct. Yeah. So uh, to, to lead on that real quick, um, an example, the cruisers that we use, um, the particular models that we purchased originally, um, they only have a Garmin, uh, so it's 796 in the center console. So we don't have uh, any kind of GPS, like a 650 WAS where you can shoot a precision approach or anything like that. Um, so we are in those aircraft limited. However, if we were to purchase the cruisers with the Garmin 650 in it, we can fly IFR, uh, but we, you're correct. We cannot go IMC in those aircraft or any SLSA uh, for that matter. Um, interestingly though, I believe uh, in an ELSA, an experimental LSA properly equipped can actually fly IMC. Um, I've seen, uh, I think YouTube videos of Bristel's, uh, you know, with, uh, some nice Garmin equipment flying IMC, uh, light IMC, you know, obviously nothing, uh, nothing severe. <laughs> you wouldn't want to do that in LSA, but, um, but yeah, in a training environment, uh, you would have to make sure it's properly equipped. Uh, so you could, if we had a cruiser with a Garmin 650, you could go private, uh, you could go sport pilot, private pilot instrument 
commercial and all the way through CFI. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but you just have to be careful which platform you're choosing and what it has for equipment. So, um, you know, it's funny when, when you talk about the, the way that the aircraft is equipped, um, you know, it, it may have the same advantages that say a glider has that, uh, you know, when you, when you start pulling some of those additional things out, um, you know, it, it has the benefit of forcing you to look outside again. Um, and, and for somebody who does a lot of instrument training, I, I would love that to be honest with you. <laughs> So I, I think that there's, there's definitely some positives in that as well. Um, so, you know, we talked about the, the cost advantage uh, to training in LSA. Um, you know, what are the other advantages that somebody might have um, for choosing that instead of uh, going straight to the private pilot? The, the hesitancy someone might have of uh, obtaining a, a, a medical certificate uh, might be one reason why they, they choose that. Um, another reason might be uh, that they are unsure of what their mission requirements are. Uh, they might know they want to earn a pilot certificate, but they're not quite sure they need to fly at night. They're not quite sure they need to fly the complex airspace. They're looking for the recreational side of aviation. Uh, and so being able to uh, help them make that decision about what is the right certificate for you to start with, knowing that most of what you do for sport pilot is creditable towards uh, earning pilot pilot in the future. Uh, I think that is a great selling point to help people understand uh, that, that there is this rating that might be tailored uh, fit for their needs. Uh, it makes that decision easier. Now, do you guys find that this is sort of the, the gateway drug into flying once they, once they get the sport pilot rating, they, they have the bug and then they keep going? I've noticed that. Yeah. A fair amount, actually. Yeah. What, what's, what's interesting um, from the school perspective, what we noticed uh, is very few sport pilots that will actually ever graduate because um, they came in with the idea of yeah, sport pilot cheaper, easier to obtain, you know, get to their goal um, a little more expeditiously. But then as they start getting into it, they start the, the fun and the challenge of it um, really it, it's the bug bites them. And then there's like, wow, this is really cool. You know, actually maybe want to blow past all those restrictions and yeah, let's do the night training. Let's do some additional cross country. Let's do some hood flying and, and all that. And they just, they get so uh, enraptured by everything that they just want to continue straight over to the private. Um, so we've seen that happen quite a lot um, where people came in very definitely just want to do sport, want to keep it cheap. And then the next thing you know, uh, you know, they've, they've taken to it and they've, they've gone all the way. So hmm. yeah, it happens rather frequently. So expanding this into the, the CFI discussion, um, what does it take to ch uh, upgrade a sport pilot certificate into a sport pilot instructor? Because um, I believe they can go directly into that. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm going to say, um, first, I think it, it's helpful to understand that if you are a sport pilot or even a private pilot, you can become a flight instructor without having to do the traditional route of earning your instrument rating and commercial pilot certificate. So anyone with a sport pilot or higher can go and get their first flight instructor certificate, the flight instructor with sport pilot rating, and then teach in flight sport airplanes and enjoy um, all the privileges uh, of a flight instructor, but they are just limited to working with sport pilots in, in flight sport airplanes. So that's a great way 
Uh, I have a, a, one of my business partners actually was a, a flight instructor with a sport pilot for 10 years before he then decided to upgrade and add airplane single engine to that flight instructor certificate. Um, so that was a, a, a great way for him to try out instructing. He knew he loved teaching. Uh, he already had a, a private pilot rating. He knew he liked like sport airplanes. He was doing that both in, in gyroplanes and in airplanes, actually. So uh, it worked out very well. But yeah, when it came time to become, uh, to add airplane single engine to his flight instructor certificate, uh, we were both surprised to learn that the, uh, the flight instructor PTS doesn't give any credit to those flight instructors with sport pilot ratings. Mm. Uh, he had to um, uh, sit for a full practical test and, and go through FOI again. And so we had to you know, spend quite a bit of time helping him prepare for that. Uh, so that was, uh, uh, I'm not going to say surprising. The FAA does stuff like that all the time. Uh, but uh, uh, it, it, I think it, it does reveal that there is uh, maybe even a little bit of a structural kind of separation between sport aviation and the traditional uh, aviation training environment that, that we are uh, used to. Is the is the check ride any different? I mean, the gist that I'm getting from you is is that if you if you go that route, it's pretty much the same check ride with the same requirements. Yeah, it, it, exactly the same. It, it, it's it's almost as if you didn't have an existing flight instructor certificate. You're going to go through all the same uh, PTS flight instructor tests. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and I think um, I, actually I, I kind of always like the idea. Um, it it kind of reminds me a little bit of the. Um, uh, limited flight instructor certificate that used to exist, I think it was back in the 50s and 60s. Um, actually, the FAA even played around with a basic pilot um, certificate way back. I was reading something uh, from 1967, which sounded exactly like light sport, um, just, you know, several decades prior to uh, when they finally rolled this uh, LSA rule out. Um, but from a, from a flight school perspective, it's kind of an interesting proposition to say, all right, we've got some light sport aircraft. Um, we've got some people who are very enthusiastic about uh, learning to fly and, and maybe they don't want to go the whole private instrument commercial route, but they love teaching and you can identify them. Maybe it's a school teacher or somebody that walks in or just, you know, uh, just somebody who in general loves teaching. Um, to go the full route of being a full flight instructor can seem very expensive and burdensome and take a lot of time. But if you can capture that enthusiasm, that interest and say, Hey, cool, you know, you got the sport pilot option. And then, uh, the, the total, uh, uh, aeronautical experience time you need is 150 hours before you can apply for the CFIS. Uh, so, you know, certified flight instructor with a, a sport, um, uh, rating. So, what a great way to not only a capture enthusiasts, you know, at the lower cost option, becoming a sport pilot from one segment of the market, but then also be able to get them on the other side and say, Hey, you know, um, cause we have a way of kind of identifying people that seem to really like teaching and say, you know, we have some ways that we can help you with that. Maybe get, uh, you know, your basic or advanced ground instructor uh, certificate and we can kind of have you teach some ground schools and whatnot. And now you can say, well, why don't you get your CFI sport as well? And then we can have you teaching, uh, other sport pilot applicants coming through as well and, and keep them engaged in that way also adds it to your instructor base and, and whatnot as well. So um, it's also kind of an interesting way to have uh, maybe if you're running like a career program with sport aircraft and you have students that come in, you identify those that seem like they'd make really good instructors and encourage them to become a CFIS um, while they're still working toward their instrument and commercial. So now they're teaching a bit earlier, right? 
um, getting that experience while also working toward the rest of their full you know, certificates and ratings along the way. So it's another way just to kind of keep them engaged and, and all of that and, uh, and kind of employ them a bit earlier as well in the process instead of waiting till they get through their instrument commercial and 250 or 300 hours later. Um, so it's kind of a neat little technique you can, you can incorporate into that. Well, nothing um, increases your skill level like actually having to go out and teach it. So, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, being yeah. able to do that a little bit earlier on in your, in your uh, aviation career, I mean, that sounds amazing. So, uh, for an instructor teaching a LSA student, um, you know, what are the differences from a, a preparation standpoint? Uh, IACRA, endorsements, finding examiners. Uh, Krishnan, what do you think? Um, tying into what we were talking about earlier, I believe we can exclusively find sport DPEs as well. Okay. So it, again, like the the uh, the system where you get your CFIS while training to to sort of further your ratings on that front, I believe you can also be a sport DPE. And if you're interested in going that that route and that that way, you kind of start working with the FAA in that capacity as well. So, so that I think I think that's a that's a cool little side thing that I happened to notice while while looking up the stuff that we were we were um, going to talk about. But but yeah, I, I think it's like I believe Dustin said in the beginning. It, it sits at about seventy five percent. So in terms of the endorsements, in terms of the experience, and, and again, IACRA, everything, it's 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 right there. I think that that's a that's a sort of a good round figure to to use. <laughs> in terms of, of, of all the stuff that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. so. What do you think, Dustin? Yeah, I was going to say out here in Northern California, we've got um, some DPEs that just have uh, the privileges to examine sport pilots. And then we do have some, I'll say traditional DFB, uh, DPEs that are private and SEER uh, commercial instrument rated, uh, that also have LSA on their, um, their letter of, uh, of authorization from the FAA. So, right. uh, uh, it's nice that you know, we have multiple sources to, to, to go through. I will say, though, there is a uh, – this is interesting. Maybe this is perception, and maybe it's just my perception. But uh, I will say that when it comes to a sport pilot check ride, there is a little bit maybe relaxed atmosphere um, as opposed to uh, when I have the traditional DPE come to a sport pilot rating um, – he is much more, as, as you would expect, someone who's going to be uh, examined for a, a private pilot certificate. So uh, we, while it's nice that a DP can create a more relaxed environment, we want to make sure that, that all of our applicants are prepared uh, for the PTS. Uh, and we keep that bar very high. Um, because especially out here, um, you know, there's, uh, there's, it doesn't matter what rating you have, you're, we're all sharing the same airspace. So I want every pilot to be safe and competent when they're off the mm -hmm. road alongside us. George, same question, but uh, with an additional uh, piece to it. Um, you know, are there differences in the knowledge section for the sport pilot or is all of that the same as well? Um, in general, it's, it's pretty much the same again, because like Dustin was saying, we're, sh we're sharing the same airspace. We're kind of doing the same thing. Um, I think on the, the knowledge test itself, I, I think is a bit shorter. Um, don't quote me on this. I think it's about 40 questions. <laughs> so there's a number of things left off. Um, but in general, yeah, I, I think it's generally all the same. 
So guys, if, uh, if I'm an instructor who's looking to get into sports uh, instruction, or frankly, if I'm um, a, a prospective uh, sport pilot, where would I go to, to get more information and, and sort of learn more about sport aviation? Dustin? Uh, yeah, I, I would say that that might be the, not the hardest, but that might be a little bit more of a challenge. Um, uh, I would say in the last couple of years, I've seen more and more flight schools explore uh, using light sport airplanes. I think that has provided more access, but um, uh, I'm sure there are lots of areas of the country that are underserved with organizations that will provide training in light sport airplanes or have light sport aircraft available uh, to train in. Um, you know, I, I see down in Southern California, I've seen a, a, quite a few operations uh, that are using light sport airplanes uh, at, at even bigger airports, uh, you know, like, like Long Beach or Hawthorne uh, uh, and things like that. Um, here in Northern California, we've got uh, light sport aircraft at, I'd say, maybe four fields around the Sacramento area, so there's quite a bit of access. Um, and, and so that's probably the, one of the, the, the first challenge that you'd have to define. Um, the, the, the EAA is probably the organization that I would recommend folks make a connection with if they're having trouble. Um, and that's the other thing I was going to say is that, uh, you know, EAA continues to push for innovation in this space. And I think that um, the definition of, of sport aviation and sport aircraft is going to continue to evolve over the next couple of years with EAA's mosaic effort. Uh, and so we're one more thing we're going to have to keep up with, but I, but I think it's, uh, uh, it, it represents an opportunity for all of us uh, to, to understand that and support that effort because it, it's all with the goal of keeping more people in aviation and bringing more people into aviation. Mm -hmm. Anything to add, George? Uh, yeah, no, I think he said it all. Uh, I, I do agree. I think um, access to light sport aircraft is a bit spotty uh, across the country. I know just in our own New England area here, um, Frankly, I think we're the only ones running light sport aircraft uh, with the exception of uh, one other school that's up in New Hampshire. Um, and I think between the two of us, that's, that's pretty much it in the whole New England area. Uh, I can't think of anyone else that's operating. Uh, I know some that used to, and then they, uh, they kind of scaled back for a number of reasons. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to find it, um, which, which may lead uh, to one of the reasons why it's maybe not as popular as, as it could be. It's, it's just because of the lack of access to the aircraft or, or local training facilities to accommodate the, the, the local markets. So, um, but yeah, EAA is a great resource. And I know there are uh, nationally, there, there are even some uh, specialized light sports schools um, you know, that, that do this sort of thing and are very good at it. So, um, but EAA, I think, is, a, is an excellent resource for it. So uh, to sort of summarize the, the conversation and, and kind of put a little bit of a bow on it, um, you know, the, the gist that I've gotten from you guys is that uh, really light sport is not as different um, from traditional training as, as a lot of people may think. And, and a lot of people have this misunderstanding that it, it doesn't sort of fit. Um, as it's grown, it's actually incorporated itself even further into um, the, the training curriculum while uh, allowing for that time to convert into the next rating. Um, the, the restrictions that uh, people might think that are associated with the, the training or the aircraft, um, you know, they're, they're not going to stop anybody from having fun. In fact, in, in a lot of cases, I think uh, it sounds like it actually would be almost more fun. Um, you get cool airplanes at a cheaper cost. 
Um, a lot of them, I, correct me if I'm wrong, would be newer uh, than what are the a lot of the other training aircraft that you would have uh, available to you. And, and to Krishnan's point, um, you know, because a lot of people don't understand it, they avoid it. So <laughs> instead of having a, a line to wait in, you can go straight to the airplane and, and start training. Um, does that about sum it up? Anybody else have any other sort of positive thoughts that uh, you want to mention? I'll start uh, with Krishnan. Yeah, so the fun aspect is something that I, that I always kind of observed, even though I didn't really know what I was doing even initially while training in them. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was doing one of my long cross countries and I decided how to see how high I can take this Cessna 162, right? So here I am bumbling along at 9,500, climbing up to 11.5. And LA Center comes up and says, hey, are you climbing? And I'm like, yes, I'm climbing. And as I said it, you know, the engine gave a tired sigh and I could <laughs> feel my rate of climb go up to, you know, 50 feet per minute and just kind of stay there. And they're like, and, and center comes back and says, listen, you got to descend. There's a Boeing two miles behind you. He's going to overtake you here in a second. And as I'm, I'm descending over there, you know, obviously with my carb heat fully on and everything going on, I'm going down and, I'm acutely aware that there's four millimeters of plexiglass between me and the central valley. You know, like while I do spiraling descent and come down. So, you know, there's 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 moments like that. It, it's fun and and it's cool. And it's I don't think you sort of you're not as insulated from from flying as you are in in, in the bigger, sort of more standard airplanes that you'd come across, you know? Yeah. You're, you're acutely aware of the, the, the vibrations and the sounds and the smells and and, and I think it's wonderful. And I think it's, it's a great way to kind of get initiated into, into flying as a whole. So, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly fun, exciting, visceral stick and rudder. Like you, yeah, and it does. I agree with Dustin said earlier too. It does kind of expose your, your, the flaws in your airmanship and makes you a better pilot uh, by, by virtue of learning how to fly these airplanes that are a little bit more sensitive. So yeah, absolutely. Dustin, any final thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to uh, piggyback on the fun part. Uh, we had a, a student who earned his uh, practice certificate in a, uh, a light sport airplane and then uh, transitioned to a, a 172 so he could carry a few more people, right? Uh, and his comments after a couple of flights, the 172 is something to the effect of, wow, this thing is just so boring, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, you think about it's a 172. I mean, it kind of is, right? It's kind of like a big boxy truck, and you got to kind of really kick it to make it do anything, right? With a light sport airplane, I fly it with the, the, the pads on my fingertips, with just a couple mm -hmm. of fingers, and it's, it's just so responsive. It is more fun. Yeah. Uh, that, that is definitely a, a selling aspect to it, for sure. So what I'm hearing is that there's a, a business venture out there for stick and rudder boot camp using a uh, light sport aircraft. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so, all right, well, guys, I very much appreciate your time. Um, and to, uh, to those, of, uh, uh, those out there watching this presentation, I highly encourage you to get more information on LSA. Um, there's, there's a lot of opportunity in this, uh, aspect of aviation, both in training, um, but as well as like the guy said, fun. 